Today I want to conclude just a brief two-week series where we're talking about attitude. You know, your, your, your attitude and mine, it's, it's actually one of your greatest problem-solving skills and assets because so often a problem's not really the problem. The problem's our attitude about the problem. You change your attitude about the problem, you actually can change the problem and the situation. Um, now, let me just do a little brief review and put an image up here on the screen. This is an attitude indicator, and uh, every flight deck has one. Why? Because if you change the attitude of an aircraft, you change its performance. And likewise, it's true if you change the attitude of a person, you can change their performance and their perspective. What's an attitude? An attitude is a mindset, a way of looking at things. An attitude is our mental and emotional and spiritual response to circumstances. Um, I mentioned last week, I really believe our attitudes are, are, are made up of faith, hope, and love. Faith gives us what? Purpose. Not aimlessness, purpose. Hope gives us what? A, a spirit of optimism, not pessimism, not despair. And love helps us to lean into a spirit of reconciliation, not alienation. Last week we emphasized that our attitudes are chosen. They're not given. Now we might be born with different personality tendencies, but by and large we choose our attitudes. Now, I gave a little caveat, and I want to say, state it again. If you find yourself in a continual state of depression that you cannot overcome or dealing with anxiety disorders, it's very real. Go visit with your physician or visit with a Christian therapist. But for many people, their negative and despairing outlook is a direct choice of some decisions they've made in their life. Now, the Bible speaks to this. This is not just pop psychology. Philippians chapter 4 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, listen to this, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Make a choice that that's where you're going to go. You know, my friends, remember that whatever you give your attention to is the person you become. Whatever you give your attention to is the person you, you become. Now, that bodes well. That is really, really good news if you're thinking about what's good and beautiful and true and seeking to have an, uh, an attitude that's rooted in, in high road motivations. But if you give yourself, if you, if you give your attention to the 24-7 news cycle of ongoing outrage and anxiety, or you give yourself to one emotionally charged uh, tidbit of celebrity gossip after another, don't be surprised if your attitude needs quite a bit of attention. Ephesians chapter 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, 
and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, he says, you can think like an old Ronnie. You can think like a, you know, there's not so good Ronnie, but you have been created anew in Jesus. You are the vessel of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you. You know the Word of God. And he says, I'm asking you to put on a new mindset, a new attitude. In other words, we're going to be active in this, not passive. An active mindset, not a passive mindset. A passive mindset says, oh, my attitude just happens. But the active mindset says, I'm going to take responsibility for it. My attitude will not take care of itself. And I have to, have to maintenance that attitude virtually every day. You own your 20 square feet. I can't control everything that happens to me. I can control and have a say in my response to it. I'm going to own that 20 square feet. And then hopefully the influence can grow from there. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that uh, everything's rosy, that we should never correct or challenge or criticize. We should. We're, we're, as Christians, we're taught to not be gullible, to not be naive. But I am asking that on a daily scale, that our mindset is primarily one of goodwill and optimism and joy, that we accentuate the positive, and that we're willing to speak of one another's virtues more so than one another's faults. We're going to allow optimism to replace pessimism and let our faith exceed and color our fears. Well, if you're taking notes today, number one, monitoring our attitudes, let me ask, what's your attitude about relationships? And what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a look at two passages of Scripture where the word attitude or mindset is used specifically to describe the attitude of Jesus, and then we're called to imitate that. And so, uh, here at first, let me ask, what's your attitude about relationships? And here's something the Bible has to say in Philippians 2. Now, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility consider others better than yourselves. Hmm. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And what kind of attitude was that? Who, Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, here's what he did. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, and he was found in human likeness. Many of you know that passage well. You know how it continues. Here's Jesus, who could be no higher, but listen carefully, but he willingly, he voluntarily demoted himself. He took on the humble role of a servant. Why? For your benefit and mine. That's humility. What's humility? Humility is being willing to use 
my resources and my influence for the good of the whole. That's Jesus. And he says, would you let your attitude be that of Christ Jesus, who looked at his people and he valued them and he added value to them. You know, what's interesting to me is how humility has really caught on over the last few years, even in the business world. Seven or eight years ago, John Dixon had a fabulous book out called Humilitas. And even though it was written from a Christian perspective, the business world really bought into this. There's a book out now, a business book called Humility is the New Smart. Basically saying if you... If you don't bring humility to your work game, that, you know, as I've said many times, Jesus is not just right about church stuff. He's not just right about baptism in the Lord. He's right about everything. He's the smartest person in the room. Humility really is, it's always been the new smart. That business book talks about doing things like having an accurate self-appraisal acknowledging you don't have all the answers and don't pretend like you do, committing yourself to lifelong learning. But one of the main features is the book is that a humble person engages in otherness. They emotionally connect, they emotionally relate, and in, a, and in a, uh, an all-about-me world, when you bring humility to the table... For example, you're willing to overlook an offense. You're just not too prickly. You compliment instead of criticize. You're okay with maybe not being noticed as much as you think maybe you should be. And you're willing actually to shine the spotlight on some others as well. And you're willing to serve, to actually be engaged and help be part of the solution. Humility has always been the new smart. It's what makes us a we instead of just a bunch of me's. And it's a beautiful thing. So what's your attitude about relationships? Hey, before I move on, I want to show you a little football video and you're going to see something, I think, pretty interesting. Actually, you'll see a spirit of humility here. Let's show it. So here you go, reversing direction. Tackle's about to be made. Uh-oh, he's stripped. Fumble. He's headed in for a touchdown. Look at that. Did you see what he did? Before he scored, he said, here you go. You take it. You score. The spirit of humility binds a family, a church, a group together. It's always been the new smart. Secondly here, what's your attitude about roadblocks? Roadblocks. Reading from 1 Peter 4, again, listen to a teaching that specifically mentions the attitude of Jesus. Therefore... Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. 
because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now, here what's interesting is that the Scriptures are teaching us that the Christian attitude, if, if, we're, if we're imitating Jesus, it's an attitude that's willing to endure difficulty and hardship. You know, Jesus did not have an easy assignment. His assignment was not for sissies. And yet, did he quit? No. Did he persevere? Yes. Did he endure hardship? Absolutely. And occasionally, you'll meet people who say, I'm willing to, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to be involved, as long as it's easy. Marriage is not easy. Raising children is not easy. Leading a group is not easy. Max Dupree says one of the qualities of a leader is you have to be willing to bear the pain. A lot of people want the title, but you have to be willing to bear the pain of leadership. Leading a family, leading, leading a group. And here Peter says, if we're going to accomplish anything in our lives... Arm yourself with the attitude of Jesus who says, I will see this thing through. Let me give a def definition of perseverance. Perseverance is pursuing godly ambitions in spite of setbacks, in spite of opposition, in spite of unrelenting hard work. Arm yourself with this attitude of Jesus. There's a business book out called Rethinking Positive Thinking. And it says one of the things folks do when they, when they start thinking and planning, they don't factor into the equation obstacles. They think obstacles are uh, an interruption. Op you can count on them. Anything worth doing has opposition and obstacles, but every obstacle is an opportunity. One business book has a little acrostic, whoop, W-O-O-P. There's your wish, is what you want to see happen. There's your outcome, you're dreaming about it, and here are the possibilities. But you've got to factor in and not be surprised by obstacles and be willing to keep planning it and working it in spite of opposition and obstacles and setbacks. You know, sometimes God zaps a situation. He just zaps it. Most of the time, you don't get the zap. Most of the time, you get a partnership, and you have to keep at it and keep persevering. Remember in the Old Testament, you had Naaman who wanted to be healed of leprosy? Yeah. And what was he told to do by the prophet? Go to the River Jordan and dip seven times. Well, I don't want to go to the River Jordan. There's one nearby easier. Yeah, you got to go to the River Jordan. Well, why can't I just dip once? Well, just keep dipping. One, two, three. Well, God, if you're going to just zap me, just zap it. He didn't zap it. And Nathan had to get engaged in the process and stay at it 
and arm himself with a mindset that says, I will persevere and I will see this through. Some of you have been in a situation where you would look at it and you'd say, well, you know, I faltered there or I failed. Failure's not final. We live in a culture that says if you first you don't win a gold medal, then just quit. No. Keep at it. Get back up. Obstacles are opportunities for you to learn something new about yourself, learn something new about God, and push through. Perseverance is pursuing godly aims in spite of setbacks, opposition, and unrelenting hard work. Now, how can we maintain an attitude that's uh, embedded with faith, hope, and love? Let me give just a few quick practical suggestions. Number one, pray like Jesus. One time Jesus was asked about prayer, and he gave the best model ever. And, you know, sometimes it's good to just quote the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer, if you look at it, it's really a series of prompts, a series of guidelines teaching us to pray in a fully orbed way. For example, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Notice we're giving praise your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, just like it is in heaven, I'm offering myself to partner with you. Give me today my daily bread. I am dependent on God for even the smallest things. And forgive us our debts, even as I forgive my debtors. Grace to you, grace for me taking unnecessary shame, putting it away. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Then Jesus reminds us of our relational attitude. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father forgives you. But if you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive your sins. Pray like Jesus. Secondly, worship God first. We all worship things. But praise God first. You know, we live in such a negative, fallen world, and so much of what we hear is negative. But if you want to counter it, praise is a great tool to do that. And praise depends not so, upon, not so much upon a particular place as it does a perspective. Remember that scene in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison in Philippi? They're thrown in prison, they're beaten, they're placed in stocks. And what are they doing at midnight? Worshiping and praising God. And that's just a reminder that praise doesn't need a particular place. Praise depends upon a perspective. And my friends, negativity is the devil's language spoken in that moment by that person who's just may not normally speak that way. God's language is, is faith, hope, and love. God's language is, is full of possibilities. With God, all things are possible. Faith doesn't say, oh, there's no obstacle, there's no problem. Faith sees it, acknowledges it, 
but also says God is with us in the midst of this, and he will work in us and through us, and we'll see what he will bring about. Thirdly, make sure you're reading your Bible and letting truth wash away falsehoods. Just engage in a regular reading plan. When you miss a day, miss days, don't beat yourself up. Just come back to it. Letting the Word of God speak truth to you. Number four, stop comparing. Be content. It's easy to compare and compete. <laughs> and uh, if I want to compare my uh, blooper reel with your highlight reel, I'll always be envious. I'll always be full of self-doubt. I have a particular lane in which I need to run. I have a particular assignment that I need to fulfill. And uh, it's good to have role models. It's good to have people around that inspire you and, and uh, you learn from them. But I've got to give God permission to bless other people more than he blesses me. I've got to give God permission to use other people more than he uses me. And... Um, Let's release our jealousy to the Lord. Let's cheer on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's shine in our own unique way. Let's stay in our lane. Enjoy every minute of it. And remember, contentment doesn't mean laziness. Contentment simply means, Lord, I'm grateful for your provision as of this day now. Monitor your influences. We're all uh, influenced, our attitudes are influenced by what we read, watch, listen to. Monitor your influences and make sure you've got people around. It's good to just certain people, what they talk about, how they talk about it, it just rubs off on you in a, such a good, good way. And the power of music and even Christian music to really bless and lift your soul. And last of all, gospelize others. And what I mean here is speak good news. You know, the word gospel means good news. And when we gospelize others, we are doing what Stephen Covey says, we're keeping the main thing the main thing. And we're articulating even to ourselves the main thing, the good news that we believe in the Lord. We love the Lord. He loves us. He's coming back. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not, nothing in, in Houston, nothing in Washington, nothing high, nothing low, not even death itself. And when we speak good news and articulate it, and remind, we're not only reminding others, we're reminding ourselves what the main truths are in our own heart and so and it does you good. The book of Philemon says it like this. I pray that you'll be active in the sharing of your faith. In other words, you're speaking good news. Why? So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. All right. I want to uh, close by showing you a video here in just a moment of uh, Frank Reich. And, uh, you know, if you're a sports fan, you know who Frank Reich is. Uh, he played his college football at the University of Maryland, 
played uh, several years in the NFL. Um, he's been a longtime coach. You may not know he's also an ordained minister. He has a Master of Divinity degree from a theological a seminary in, the, in North Carolina. He's now the head coach of the uh, Indianapolis Colts. For some of you who've been around here a while, you remember about seven years ago, Frank Reich stood right here and was one of our, one of our guest speakers. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, he um, was doing a press conference. But before he did his press conference, he just took an opportunity to remind anyone who was listening what's most important to him. And he took an opportunity just to gospelize, to remind people, here's the main thing. Here's true north. And uh, I think it will encourage you. Remember, my friends, your attitude is so important. We get to represent the Lord and a good attitude, a healthy attitude that's rooted in faith, hope, and love. It's inspirational to the people around you. I'm not saying we don't face difficulties. I'm not saying there's not appropriate times to lament. But let's let the Holy Spirit wash our, our souls. Let's let the Holy Spirit wash our attitudes. And let's be like it was said of Onesimus in the Bible. This is a person who will refresh your spirit. God bless you, everybody. And let's listen to Coach Frank Wright. I just wanted to offer a word of encouragement, really, to anyone out there who's in the midst of a struggle. In particular, I'm thinking of a few friends who I know are going through some stuff. And I want to give a personal account to where I found my strength for the journey. The reason I'm doing that here and now is because almost 30 years ago, in a really, after a really big game, right down the hall in a press conference, I shared the lyrics to a song that meant a lot to me, that really spoke to where, where I get my strength from. And uh, the song's In Christ Alone, and it's written by Sean Craig. I'm not going to recite the whole song like I did in the locker room back in 1993, but I do want to just share a very small snippet of it that might encourage someone who's climbing their own mountain right now. It says this, the chorus says, In Christ alone I place my trust, and I find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me that my source of strength and my source of hope is Christ alone. And then there's one small snippet in the second verse, which is my favorite line, favorite lyric says, I seek no greater honor than just to know him more. <clears throat> so even, even though it was almost 30 years ago when I read those words here in this stadium, this week I was reminded, Hebrews 13:8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's crazy, but we're here, but we're here some 30 years later, not living in the past, but rather attempting to press on to what is ahead. So my encouragement is to keep climbing and to find the strength and power that you need in Jesus Christ.